Hey, open your Bibles to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. The series is called Moses, A Story of Doubt and Deliverance. The section we're in is called The Big Ten, Ten Commandments. Last week we went through commandment number one. And therefore today we are going on to commandment number two. This is going to, for linear people and math people, they're going to love this. They know what's coming next. Here we are in commandment number two. So commandment number one. Did you ever learn the Ten Commandments? I didn't grow up really in the church learning the Bible, so I didn't learn the Ten Commandments until I like led a VBS one year, and there was this really stupid song that we learned how to sing. So whenever we do the Ten Commandments, I always sing that dumb song in my head, and that's how I know them. But maybe you know it, maybe you don't. But here we are, Big Ten number two, no idols. No idols. Just saying that, I'm sure that some people are already trying to check out. Well, I don't own a wood shop. And I don't even know how to weld. So I'm going to go to sleep. (laughs) I lost an hour of sleep for a sermon on idols. How is that going to impact my life? I promise you by the end of this sermon, God will have rocked you if you're truly listening to him. All right? I promise you. We have idols. We do. Number one, jot this down. What is idolatry? Let's unpack the text. It says in chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. So definition of an idol, a physical idol, would be making something. It's made, manufactured, or a likeness of anything that is in heaven above. So it could be an angel, it could be a god that you see in the heaven something from a different realm or of anything that is in he- or anything that is in the earth beneath so it could be of an animal uh, we we learned during our study of uh, the exodus that the the egyptians had many idols that resembled animals frogs and they, their idols looked like animals it says or that is in the water underneath it so sea creatures you shall not bow down to them, so there's a reverence, or serve them, so there's an allegiance. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So let's define an idol. An idol is something created that's elevated to a God status in your life. It's when you look to an object to give you spiritual favor or power. Looking to an object to give you spiritual favor or power. That's physical idolatry. It could be a statue that represents a false spiritual being like Baal or Poseidon. Or it could represent an animal with God powers like when the Israelites made the golden calves. Or it could represent a person who isn't God but is expected to do things only God can do. Buddhists are technically atheists, but the statues of Buddha are all over their places of worship because there's a void in their heart and they can't stand the thought of there being no spiritual helper. So they have to have a person who they have deified who can help them. Idolatry is forbidden in all forms. And it also can't be applied to how we worship the one true God. We cannot worship our true God with an idol or an image or something physical that is supposed to help us. 
We can't worship God spiritually in a way that falsely depicts him or that departs from his nature. And any made image confuses creator with creation. And therefore, it takes away from the worship of the one true God. Here we are at Mount Sinai, and this voice is thundering from the mountain. And it says, they saw no form, they heard a voice. They didn't see anything, they heard something. And God was making a statement. He was telling them that you can't see me and live because I'm glorious. I'm outside of everything in your universe. I'm holy. So whenever we make something to represent a God or to help us in understanding a God, we instantly reduce the idea of God to something that we are more able to control. And that's a sin. That's breaking the second commandment. There's a few forms of idolatry. You can jot this down. Avoid religious idolatry. This is where we love and trust false gods or false worship of God. Avoid religious idolatry. In Isaiah 44, 19 to 20, the Bible says this about idolatry, about the person who's making the idol. It's, it's as if the Bible shows up to the idol worker's home, the idol smith, and gives a commentary. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? This is a great indictment of idolatry. The person producing the idol used half of it to make his God and the other half to burn and make his food. And the Bible is indicting that man as a fool and saying, can he not discern there is a lie in his right hand? It reduces an idol down to the word lie. And whenever we trust an idol, whenever we cling to an idol, whenever we believe in an idol, we're being lied to. We're being lied to. Idols lie to us. They promise things only God can deliver. And there are warnings of punishment and promises of blessing attached to religious idolatry. It says here in chapter 20, verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. What does that mean? Jealous. Jealous almost, almost always has a negative connotation, right? You, you're, never, you're never like looking to get applauded for your jealousy. You know, did you see my jealousy there? Wasn't that awesome? I was so jealous. Uh, jealousy, though, does have a positive connotation. So like when a wife sees her husband eyeing another woman, her jealousy says that's wrong and you have no business laying eyes on that woman because you're mine and I'm yours. That, that is a protective love, right? That's a protective love that has a right to uh, a, an allegiance that is true. And when God looks upon you and sees you eyeing another God, his jealousy is right and it's good and it protects you from something that will devour you. So it's not like God's like a junior high girl who's getting so jealous because you're looking at somebody else. It's not that kind of jealousy, right? It's the jealousy of a holy God that knows when you bind up your heart to any other thing besides him, you will have hell to pay. And it's God's jealousy that loves us enough to reach out and to pull us back into a relationship with him. So we have to avoid religious idolatry. There is a promised punishment for idolatry and a promised blessing for avoiding idolatry. It says here an interesting thing. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
So son, grandson, great-grandson's going to get it. If you're an idolater and you hate me, that's a little confusing because there's other places in the Bible where say the, the son will not pay for the father's sin. So how do we explain this? Well, the rule is this. The rule is that when parents or churches or countries put their people at risk because the leaders are sinning, the people will usually pay for the leaders or the grown-ups or the adults or the government sins. The people will usually pay for a while. All right, A government that goes unchecked in their sin for a hundred years will leave a trail of bodies in the wake. So children will pay for the sins of the leaders who fail. They will. And the consequences will ripple through the generations. That's the rule. There are exceptions, though. The exceptions are that if the son repents, if a generation repents, God will bless and God will forgive, which is why there's a promise here also. It says that the iniquity, you know, the iniquity is going to roll down to the third and the fourth generation for those who hate me. But guess what? Those who show steadfast love to me, I will show steadfast love to them to the thousandth generation. So the blessing is so much bigger. And maybe you're here today and you're a first generation Christian. Maybe you're the one in your family who broke the mold. All right. And, and you know the blessing of seeing God's power and his spirit come into your family. Now you're still suffering in some ways because of what your family handed you. But God has overruled the full weight of that pain, hasn't he? He has. He's overruled the full weight of that pain and he's starting a brand new chapter through you. So the rule is that if parents sin, if government sin, if church leaders sin, people will pay. But if people repent, if the next generation rises up in holiness, God's blessing will fall a thousandfold. So we have to avoid religious idolatry. But that's not it. Jot this down. We have to avoid heart idolatry. Again, you might be saying, well, this is all well and good, but I'm just never even once tempted to bow down before Baal. I don't even own a Poseidon statue, let alone trust it. Maybe you're like, how does this apply to me? There are idols in the heart. And actually, the idol on the outside actually shows you something that's going wrong on the inside. So even if the Israelites again and again would put the idols away, guess what? The roots were still in the heart, so the idols would come back. If you don't trace what's happening on the outside deep into the soul, you won't get why you have idols or what they are or how you find them. I like what Albert Moeller says about idolatry. He says, The human soul will find an object of worship either on the shelf, on the altar, in the mirror, or in heaven. That's true. We will find something to revere, something to trust, someone to serve, to long for. We will find that somewhere. And because there's a warning attached to idolatry, Albert Moeller says this, the idol is a nothing, but it is a dangerous nothing. The idol is a nothing, but it's a dangerous nothing. We have to avoid heart idolatry. Tim Keller has done a lot of work in his book, Counterfeit Gods, helping us to find our idols in our hearts. And he makes it clear If you think you don't have idols in your heart, they've already taken control. Everyone in here has idols in their heart. Those idols right now in the full light of God's word have scurried into corners and they're hiding. They are hiding, but they're there. They are there. 
There are idols in your heart making promises to you. Idols promising to protect you and to provide for you. And those idols in church are safely stored away in places where people can't see them. Okay, You're not going to walk up to somebody and be like, let me tell you about the thing that's holding me in bondage. Uh, you hide them, but they come out. How do we find them? How do we find them? Well, an idol is basically something good that has become God. It's something good. Listen, you need to understand this. It's something good that has become God. Which is why you can reason your way into spending more time and money on your idol than you should. Because it's good. It's something in your life that is good, but it's become God. An idol is what your heart loves most. It can be a person. It can be a thing, an activity. But an idol is what your heart loves most, more than God. And when God and your idol compete, your idol wins. Wins your time, wins your money, wins your attention. This is how we're finding uh, our idols. An idol is a God replacement. This is the heart idolatry. Here's a few ways you can find your idols. You will sin to get your idol. Maybe in other areas your life is clean, but in this area, you will sin to get it. You will sin to get it. And then you will sin to keep it. If someone reaches out and, and dares to threaten this person in your life or this habit in your life, you will sin to keep it. And then if someone or the Lord himself takes it away, you will sin to get it back. You will sin to get it, you will sin to keep it, and you will sin to get it back. Whether it's a person who you have no business being around, or whether it's a, an activity in your life, or whether it's just something, a thing that you have to have. Tim Keller gives us another way to find our idols, which is very helpful. He says, find your most uncontrollable emotions and your idols won't be far away. Find your most uncontrollable emotions and your idols won't be far away, whether it's anger or lust or greed. Where are your most uncontrollable emotions throughout the week? Your idols won't be far away. Some common idols that grip the human heart would be money. You cannot love both God and money. Money is a good thing. God commands us to work. If a man doesn't work, he, sh he shouldn't eat, the Bible says. So you've got to work for it. But when good becomes God, when money becomes master, then you have a problem. Money can be an idol in your heart. If work always comes first, if money drives your direction, you've got a false god. Sex can be an idol. Sex is a good thing. God is the one who thought up sex. God is the one who designed it. In fact, he told Adam and Eve, fill the earth. How are they going to do that? He designed it. It was God's thought. But God's thought was not godless sex. That was not his thought. That was man's thought. So sex can become an idol. It can be something you need more than God. Something you seek more than God. Something that drags you off the safe trail of God's word. Then it's an idol. <clears throat> it can be family. An idol can be family. Kids get first place. First, whatever the kids need, they get whatever the family needs, the family gets. Even if it drags you away from church for decades. If the kids need it, the kids get it. And if your schedule has no room for the living God, then the kids have won. And they are now an idol. We can also sin 
in how we protect our children, showing that they are our idol. We will sinfully protect our children, and our sin will come out when we feel like they need protection. Uh, And that shows that we're not trusting the only one who actually can protect them. We're stepping into that role. Family can become an idol. We can raise up our children and polish them and set them on a pedestal and display them for all to see and worship. And then we have turned them into idols. We have to avoid heart idolatry. Number one, what is idolatry? Avoid religious idolatry. Avoid heart idolatry. Number two, jot this down. Why do we build and trust idols? Why do we do it? Why do we build and trust idols? There's a few basic words here in these verses that clue us in to why we go for idols. It says here in verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. So there's this idea of serving them, bowing to them, worshiping them, and there's a reason why we do that. And then later it says, God judges those who hate him, uh, but he blesses those who love him. So this idea of loving, loving is a big one too. We serve our idols and we love our idols and then we don't serve our God or love our God. Those are two fundamental reasons why we pick idols, why we build them, why we trust them. Idolatry says, God is not enough for me. God is not enough for me. Here's the problem. Once we conclude that God is not enough, we substitute something less in his place. And then that doesn't go well. If we build our lives on any good thing, but we try to make it God, it will collapse because it's not strong enough to hold us up. We have to make sure that we see our idols and we identify them and we know why we're looking to them. Idolatry is basically substitution for God. When you were growing up, you were in school, did you ever have a substitute teacher? I'm sure you did. The substitute teacher walks in, right? Hello. I'm the substitute teacher. And what did all children instantly think when the sub showed up? Party time. Party time. Because real teacher is here, substitute teacher is here. Less. Less oversight. They have no idea what the routines are. They don't even know my name. I could be like, my name is Bilbo. And they'll have to call me Bilbo. You could lie. Have you ever do that? Play with a substitute teacher by switching names with your friend? Oh, no, my name is Michael. Oh, okay, Michael. And you're like, substitute teacher there is too dumb to even know my name. This idea of a substitute really helps us to understand what an idol is. An idol is a substitute God. So imagine if it blatantly happened the way that it happens in the secret places of your heart. And someone walked up to you and said, Hi, I'm Tony. I'll be your substitute God for today. What would you think? You'd be like, Tony, get out of here. (laughs) A substitute God? Oh yeah, I've received some training. Not as much certification as the real God, but I'm your substitute God. You'd be like, get out of here, but this is what our hearts do. We want the substitute God to show up for a day and run the class because we think things will go better. And whenever you cling to an idol, you're asking for a substitute God and you have to see that that's not going to go well. Anyone or anything that you put in God's place will fail you. Well, then why do we build and trust idols? We think they'll work. Idols can take many forms. So there are some people with backgrounds where they're literally tempted to worship an idol. So here's a picture of uh, Shiva. This is a Buddhist god. So people can actually go to a statue and bow down and think 
that that is a spiritual being who can provide help, some measure of blessing. Uh, But perhaps like me, you were raised in a church tradition. I was raised in the Catholic Church where there's a whole lot of other things attached to worship other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There are statues and necklaces and prayers, and there's a whole lot of other things. And if you were raised in the Catholic Church, perhaps you heard it said about Mary, the mother of Jesus, well, you have to go to the mother to get to the son. How many of you heard that when you were growing up? All right. And maybe at a wedding, you would see a bride who would go over and place flowers in front of a statue of Mary and bow down. Right? Maybe you've seen that too. Here's a picture of in one church, a statue of Mary with some people who are paying their homage. Um, and that's breaking the second commandment. Because you don't need anyone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? You don't need a statue. You don't need a necklace. You don't need a bracelet. You don't need a bottle of water. None of that will give you any spiritual power or blessing. None of it. You don't need it when you have the risen Son who rules heaven. He rules heaven. At Sacred Heart Church down the street by Stag High School, we met at Stag High School for a while, but once in a while they'd get this giant statue of Mary that would show up, and everyone would come and pray and set candles out, right? And I heard one woman say, there's going to be a lot of miracles from that statue. And I don't laugh. My heart breaks. Because I came from that tradition, and I know because they're taught that Jesus is less than the Bible says about him, they want more. They don't feel protected. They don't feel secure. But when they know the truth about Jesus, they don't need anything else or anyone else. You won't need to build and trust an idol if you know the truth about Christ. People can also break the second commandment by involving ancestors in their daily life. Check it out. There's ancestor reverence or ancestor worship, some form of trying to get an ancestor to to help you or thinking your ancestor needs you to help them. This whole like thought that a dead person has some sort of way to help me or I have some sort of way to help them can easily slip into breaking the second commandment. Uh, People who have moved along from this life don't hear you, don't see you, can't help you, okay? Um, they, they don't, they can't. That's giving them divine attributes. They're not omnipresent, and they're not omnipotent. So we can't break the second commandment by trying to get an ancestor or some <clears throat> form, something working in our favor. They can't help you, they can't harm you, they don't need you, you can't help them. Don't get all caught up in thinking there's some spiritual power found in people who have moved along, and that includes saints. Uh, We're all saints in Christ Jesus if we're saved. You know that? We're all saints. There's no level. There's no level. Uh, And so you don't need a person who's moved. So we're selling our house up in Winfield. Lauren and I are selling our other house that we couldn't sell when the market was bad. And a website told me that if I take a statue of St. Joseph and I bury it upside down, that my house will sell faster. Now, it's okay to laugh at this, okay? Because it's utterly ridiculous. It's completely superstitious, and it's a marketing tool to sell these little statues to make you think you're going to sell your house faster. So if you have a statue and you think burying it in your yard is going to increase your spiritual power, you've been duped. You've been duped. There is no power in a statue, and there is no power in doing something with a statue. You read there's prayers you can pray asking St. Joseph to help you, okay? And Joseph uh, 
doesn't care about your house. He's in heaven. All right? I could just imagine him, like, in heaven, and then being like, I got a text. Oh, there's a house that needs selling? Sure, I'll leave heaven and go down there to help someone because they buried me in their front yard. Like a bone. It's a ridiculous thought. All right? It's a ridiculous thought. And you have to be able to think clearly about these things. That is breaking the second commandment. But we do it for a reason. We do it because we don't think God is enough. We don't. It's what we're saying to God. Let's dig down on these two reasons that we build idols. Jot this down. Where are you seeking security and power? Where are you seeking security and power? You will come to a point where you want more control over your life that God has allowed you to have. Where you want more protection for yourself or your family or your marriage than God has allowed you to have. Will you trust him or will you reach for a sinful substitute? When your control and your ability to protect yourself runs out, beware, an idol will be standing by offering you help. Idolatry is when you trust something or someone to protect you more than God. When you, this could be money. You can be trusting money to be what protects you and secures you. I will have an okay life because I've got money. I'm going to have a secure future. Money's lying to you. Money lies to you when you have it and money lies to you when you don't. And beware making money your false god. People who want more control or protection can get superstitious. Wearing a cross, nothing wrong with that. Thinking because you wear a cross, you won the Super Bowl, big problem. That cross gave you no power. It's just a symbol of remembrance. I was driving in an Uber down in Atlanta once, and there was a guy driving the Uber, and he had this interesting bracelet on and another one around his rearview mirror, and it had these strange, like, pendants on it. I said, what's that? And he said, well, my mom gave me that. Those are Egyptian amulets, and they give you luck and power. And I was like, really? And I wanted to have a great spiritual conversation. So I said, you really think because you have that in your car that you've got more spiritual power? And he's like, well, I was raised in the church, so, you know, I go to the church. And I said, so you believe Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again? Yeah, I was taught that. And he rules heaven? Yeah. I said, why do you need lucky charms? I mean, do you re- well, my mom gave them to me and I want to make her happy. I said, all right, but you'd agree with me that wearing that bracelet can't give you more power than knowing the one who rules heaven. Am I right? Well, yeah, 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 you're right. See? But he was looking for more protection, more power. Mama wanted to take care of her son, so she gave him these lucky charms to make sure he doesn't get into a car accident. Why isn't she talking to the king of heaven about that? See, you're settling for less. You're finding more, you're trying to find more control or protection. This can get superstitious. People can think about angels and they can think all sorts of weird things about angels. I got an angel calendar up in my house and so I'm safer. Not true. This can even morph into things like tarot cards, wanting to know the future so that you can control it. Mediums, wanting to hear from the spiritual realm so that you have some insight into your... Anything other than Jesus is breaking the second commandment. We can't get superstitious We can't focus on material things. We have to trust Christ to give us our security in this life. If you trust something or someone more than Jesus, you lack faith. You have to go to him and say, Jesus, you are my strength. You are my security. You're the one who I'm trusting with all of my days. 
So it could be security or power that's captivating your heart, but jot this down. It could also be satisfaction or pleasure. So it's security or satisfaction. It's power or pleasure. But if you want to fill your life with more than Christ, you will find yourself loving something or someone more than Him. This is the love part. So there was the, I'm serving my idol and I'm worshiping my idol to get some strength and I'm loving my idol more than God. And the Bible flat out says that if you're loving something more than God, God feels hated. He feels hated. Jesus said, if you love, if you love your family, your mother or your sister or your brothers more than me, that's not allowed. Comparatively, he says your love for him should look like hatred for your family when they, when they are put side by side. That's how much you should love him, your primary allegiance. God is a jealous God and idolatry is adultery. Wanting satisfaction, wanting pleasure, wanting companionship can lead to a few things. There can be infatuations. I always need someone who I'm clinging to, someone who I'm chasing, someone who I'm around. And it's because your heart hasn't found its rest in the presence of the Good Shepherd. There could be hero worship. Oh, that person, that person is the one. And and this exaltation of a person who you look up to and you get all of your morals from them and they're the one you want to be. You want to be made in their image. And the love for that person is hatred for God. We can simply seek relief and rest in this hard, weary world. We can seek escape in places that replace God. Jesus is your rest. You know that? He's the one who will lead you beside still waters. But in your desire to get out from under the pressure of life, you can find a God anywhere. Golf can become your God and replace Him as the greatest joy in your life. So can video games. Functionally, it can be the place you go for rest renewal. It can be the primary joy of your heart, monopolizing your time, monopolizing your money. It's a good that's become a God. But only God can truly provide you and your heart with pleasure forevermore. And only God can protect you. Only God can provide for you and only God can protect you. You don't need idols. You don't need idols. The truth is, whatever an idol gives partially, Christ gives completely. When you chase an idol, you're chasing something partial that Christ will give you completely. Tim Keller again goes through the roots of many idols and he says they're good desires. And what are the good desires in your heart that are challenging you to promote something good to God? It can be the desire for power or control, the desire for approval. It can be the desire for comfort, control, independence, Religion, materialism, or it can be an an image of yourself that you want others to adore. When these good things get promoted to God things, there's an idol problem. What is an idol? It's something that's substituted for God. We have to avoid religious idolatry and heart idolatry. Why do we build them? Because, Because we're seeking security and power. Because we're seeking satisfaction and pleasure outside of God's presence. Number three, jot this down. How do we answer those who disagree with us? So if we come along and say there is one true God and no one should worship another idol or bow down or give your heart to anyone or anything, the world is right there ready to say, who are you to tell other people that that they can't have their religion? Who are you to tell other people that Jesus is the only one that they should love and adore? Who do you think you are? 
This past week, NSP, the group we partner with to get the gospel into local high schools, public high schools, uh, did rallies at like eight schools, I think, and there were hundreds of kids that came out to rallies inside their school during lunchtime. I was invited to Richards High School for lunchtime rallies. Check it out. Here's a picture of one of those rallies happening. Uh, That's William Green, former running back of the Cleveland Browns up there, sharing his story one day. I came another day, and we basically had Q&A time. The kids could ask any question. 30 minutes, we just sat there, and they fired. There were four of us on stage, and they just fired all these questions at us. And one of the questions that came up was, well, what makes Jesus different from other gods? That's a great question. Why is he the only one? 1 Corinthians 8, 4-6 says this, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. What makes Jesus different from the other gods? The Bible says that Jesus is God the Son. He's not just a created being. He is creator. He bears the attributes of God that only God can bear. You don't. You're not creator. You're not sustainer. You're not holding up the universe with the word of your power, but the Bible says Jesus is. He is God the Son who stepped down from heaven. He was in heaven. He existed before he existed, which makes him eternal. He said at one point, before Abraham was born, I am. He claimed to live before he lived. He is the one worthy of all of our worship. And when you know who Jesus is, you realize he's one of a kind. There is no one else like him. Jot this down. Religions all teach different things. Maybe you've heard it said, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. Well, Hinduism, for example, teaches that there are millions of gods. I don't believe that. They also teach that the universe is a spiritual illusion. This whole universe is not physically real. It's a spiritual manifestation of the gods. Um, It's even an expression of the gods, and it will one day be absorbed back into the being of a god. They confuse the idea of spirit and physical. We believe God is holy. He's different from creation. He spoke and he created. See, so religions teach different things. This is how we defend our view on idolatry. We say religions teach different things. In some faiths where they have idols, they have to care for their idols. They have to clothe them. They have to wash them. They have to bathe them. They have to feed them. Their gods are needy and weak. And in the heavens, some of the accounts of what their gods have done are sinful. Their gods are sinful. So religions all teach different things. Because of this, Christians can have no sympathy for idolatry. Listen, if you've ever said, well, you know, who am I to tell them what to believe? Uh, you're not doing them a favor. Because their faith, their belief, their usage of idols uh, is condemned by the, by the Lord. He will not accept their worship. They need to come to see that Jesus alone is the one worthy of their worship. We can't get sentimental and say, well, God, they'll be okay probably. God will understand. No, he's, he's clear in his word how he feels about idolatry. Jot this down. Idols compete for your devotion to Christ. So therefore, you can't have both. You can't have Jesus and idolatry. In Colossians 1.15, it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Why was there no idolatry allowed? Why did God not show himself on Sinai? Because Jesus was coming. A body he prepared for himself. 
He wrapped himself in flesh, and in he came to our world. That's why we can't make an idol. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way. Our world would disagree with that, but we would say that this is true. This is how we answer them. And it's because, you can jot this down, Jesus alone is worthy of our worship, our walk, and our work. We call these the three W's. Jesus alone is worthy of our worship because he is high and exalted, ruler of heaven and earth. Our walk, he's our only true companion who promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And he's the one we should serve. We go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Christ commanded. When anything else or anyone else gets our primary love, our greatest service, our, our, our first allegiance, Jesus has been taken off the throne of our lives. Jesus needs to be in the middle and everything needs to orbit around him. He can't just be out there like Pluto, somewhere out there in, in your solar system. He can't be just out there, one of the things that's in your life. He's in the center and everything revolves around him. No other physical object can capture the essence of God than Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. You know, the number one idol today, you know what it is? The number one idol today in the world is you. It's you. And maybe you've never woken up to the fact that there is a God enthroned in the universe who's worthy of your praise. Maybe you have never bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ who made you and loves you and given up the right to rule your own world. Maybe you're still your idol. Maybe you're the one and you've been working your whole life to prop yourself up so that others will adore you and praise you and thank you and help you. And and maybe it's time for that idol to be tipped over and for you to bow before the one who is worthy of adoration. In the Heidelberg Catechism, it says this, what's your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, can that be said of you? Can that be said of you? I'm not my own. I'm not my own. I don't live for me. I live for the one who died for me. If you haven't gotten to the point where you've surrendered your entire life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are your walking, breathing, living idol. And guess what? Your idol will fail you miserably because you can't walk yourself to heaven. You can't see yourself through this world, but Jesus can. Maybe it's time now to repent of your idolatry that's been going on your whole life and to fall before the one, the only one who is the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. I want to give you a chance right now, Christian or non-Christian, to let go of your idols. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer right now. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to bow our hearts. We're going to find our idols. And we're going to bring them before God. We're going to let them go. And we're not going to pick them up again. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our hearts. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I know for those who have their ears wide open today, you're speaking to them. And I just pray for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ right now. We know that in the Psalms it says, Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find our idols. I pray that people right now would be asking themselves, What do they think about 
most when they're all alone? What do they think about most? What is their greatest love? Who is their greatest love? Gripping the affections of their heart. Show them that this idol is lying to them. This idol will disappoint them. This idol will drain them of all joy if it's not brought before the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it, Lord, in our hearts that is promising to give us control or power? Is it money? Is it a position? Is it a degree? What's, what's promising to give us? Is it sports that's promising to give our kids more control over their future? What is it, Lord, that's promising things only you can deliver? Something we're clinging to for more control or power or protection. Something that's dragging us away to fear, to eating the bread of anxious toil rather than trusting the one who is the rock, the everlasting rock. Help us to turn from that idolatry, to let those idols go, to know that you are our shield, you are our great reward. Father, I pray for those here today who don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray that they would repent right now, praying this in their own heart. Father, forgive me for my idolatry. Forgive me for being my idol, for trusting myself or others to fill my life with joy. Forgive me for making my own moral law. Forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for thinking that I'm as great or greater than you. Forgive me. Here and now I let go of my idol. I cast it down. I raise up the Lord Jesus Christ who is crucified for me, who died, was buried, and rose again, and who now rules heaven. I lift my eyes to him and ask for forgiveness. I worship him. He alone is worthy. Father, save in this room right now. Save our hearts and souls from idols, foolish idols that don't live or breathe, foolish idols that do live and breathe and will die. Forgive us for what we're clinging to. Help our hearts to find rest in your presence alone. We ask this in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen.